0: Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke, chapter 24, Luke, the third book in the New Testament, chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible handy, there should be one at the end of a pew uh, nearby, Luke, chapter 24, which actually we already heard a bit from in our children's moment. So I'll pick up in just a, a second where we left off during our children's moment time and read on from there. Our passage today, in a sense, hardly uh, needs any introduction if we're at all familiar with the general story of the Christian faith. We know that we uh, have before us today in the scriptures and uh, the reason we are gathered here today on this Easter Sunday is the singular most momentous event in human history. And it's interesting, nevertheless, to recognize the the background and to see how things have led up to this point and recall that Jesus, as we know, entered Jerusalem one week earlier on Palm Sunday to much celebration and fanfare. This has been the Passover week for the Old Testament people of God. And so this week reflected for the people upon that time when they were in Egypt and held in captivity there and and how God had brought an indication of his justice and judgment to Pharaoh, multiple messages through these plagues, through Moses. And yet Pharaoh was deaf to it, did not see it, didn't have eyes to see it. And the people of God, uh, nevertheless, were called upon to put this blood on their doorpost to protect them as God's judgment came through, that they might then rise up and walk out of that place of captivity to the promised land. This is the picture of the week of Easter. And so we have Jesus then gathering on Thursday evening With his disciples and having this Passover feast and telling him about what the table means. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. And then that Friday right after Good Friday, as we know it, when he died and was crucified and then uh, spent that uh, third day until that third day in the tomb and resurrected on Sunday. We, as you know, uh, call this week Easter and all of this truth Is meant to transform our lives. And as we look today at these verses and see what happened for the disciples as they're coming to grasp this truth for the very first time, this reality of the resurrection and their eyes are being opened to be able to see it and their lives are beginning to be transformed by it. It's a tremendous reminder for us today that we can experience the same thing. The reality of having our eyes open to the resurrection and then its power to transform our lives. So I invite you to read along with me in Luke chapter 24. And we'll start right where Holly left off with the children, since we've already read that and read through about verse 35. We just read that verse six says he is not here. But he has risen. This is the women at the uh, tomb are speaking now and these angels are speaking to them and they're trying to digest it. Remember, they say how he told you while he was in Galilee, that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words in returning from the tomb. They told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all, this is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels and said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we ask that you would give us eyes to see marvelous things that you have for us, even from this account, even from these events that are somewhat familiar for many of us here. We ask, Lord, that you'd allow us to see them fresh, that you'd allow us to see them perhaps in a saving and life transforming way for the very first I we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a baby. There's a baby, shouted the paramedic rescuer standing by the overturned car in the middle of the fast-flowing rivers of Utah's Spanish Fork. By now, millions at least have seen the remarkable footage, and perhaps you have, of the body cam mounted on the rescuer filmed the moment that little 18-month-old Lily Grosbeck was found the morning of March 12th. The four heroic deliverers, police and ambulance crews, rushed to the scene after they heard the report of a man who had been fishing in the river and saw the vehicle turned upside down. It was immediately apparent to the officers that the vehicle had careened off the road hours before, probably in the middle of the night. And therefore, as they approached the vehicle, they expected to find a likely tomb of metal. For its passengers. So everyone at the scene was perplexed and stunned and even marveled at the announcement from one of the paramedics that an infant could be spotted inside. Indeed, little 18 month old Lily strapped into her car seat with the vehicle flipped over was suspended with her head just inches above that freezing, icy, flowing river water that was now filling the top of the car, which was now on the bottom. The officers attempted to get the doors open, but the force of the river and the impact of the crash had crushed the vehicle to such an extent that they couldn't get it open, and so four of them, showing remarkable power, flipped the vehicle Upright. As they looked inside, they immediately and sadly saw Lily's mother, Lynn Grossbeck, age 25, deceased. But what might have been at that moment a simply a horrible tragedy turned into a tremendous story of rescue as they realized that Lily was showing at least some signs Of life. The body cam on the police officer is impressive to watch as he grabs little Lily, her bright pink outfit strapped to his chest so you lose sight of the overall picture and can only see stones at the bottom as he deliberately and intently but quickly makes his way up the riverbank to the nearby ambulance. Those attending the child in the ambulance begin to pat her on the back, saying, come on, sweetie. And as they travel to the nearest hospital doing CPR on her, attempting to warm her, when they arrive at the hospital, the folks there, the doctors, medical people, aren't sure whether they can even save her life. But if they do, they realize she's probably been in this condition for over 12 years. Hours and aren't sure about what her functioning will be if she is rescued. So it was miraculous that Lily not only survived, but about two days later was released from the hospital with her perfect functions. And perhaps the most viral part of the video on the web was the final. Part of it, her sitting on her father's lap, who had been out of town when the incident and accident had occurred and was naturally mourning the loss of her mother, but who said, I'm just incredibly blessed to have this little one alive. Well, in our passage today, we begin in some ways with a, a scene that's similar to the one I just mentioned in that Utah River. Men and women followers of Jesus coming upon this scene, in this case of the tomb, and not expecting to find anybody alive. As they come upon the scene and recognizing The incident, the uh, disciples figuring out, seeking to find out what has happened. They realize that, that that one has been trapped inside and needs to be rescued. And just as the rescues yet rescuers had to have their eyes open to see the little one inside the vehicle. So, too, these disciples have to have their eyes open to see. And we do today in the same way that the paramedics had to amazingly, with great force, overturn that car to raise this little one up. We know that God moved that stone out of the way and with great power raised up Jesus for our blessing and our benefit and our salvation. Of course, there's important differences as well between these stories. Jesus wasn't almost dead or on the edge of death. Jesus was completely dead, deceased for three days. And the situation of Jesus's death and resurrection was no accident of a vehicle careening off the road, but the the purposed plan for salvation in the world for you and for me and for all those who would come to Jesus in faith and repentance. And last but not least, the account of what happened with Jesus It's not meant to be merely some inspirational story about life and death that maybe intrigues us or lifts our spirits a bit. The reality of what we read in the scriptures is, as I said earlier, the most momentous event in human history and one which can be transforming for us today, not just in the way that we think about it, but in God's power at work in our world and in our lives through The death and resurrection of Christ. So we could put it this way. And if you want to follow along in your worship guide in the notes section at the back of the worship guide, you certainly can. The main thing that we see in these verses is this truth that when our eyes are open to the reality of Jesus's resurrection, when our eyes are opened up to that reality, opened further, if maybe they've already been opened a bit or opened for the first time, we can be transformed. We can be transformed. Well, it's important that we think first, you know, why, why, why do we really even want to meditate on these things? Why are these things so valuable for us and where do we struggle with them? You know, in the midst of the Easter excitement with, uh, you know, gifts for family and getting together with family and getting dressed up like many are today, looking nice and getting together for a meal and a full house of worship. It can be easy to forget that our eyes aren't really naturally open to be able to see what Jesus has done and aren't really open in a way that transforms us just by ourselves. We Have to have the Lord's working in our lives. So if you're here today and you're struggling to believe. Or you struggle with your belief. You're in good company. We saw this in the verses we looked at today. You can look back with me at chapter 24. Look in verse 4 that we read earlier to the children. The women are coming along and they're bringing these spices. And it says that they were what? Perplexed. They were confused by all of this that's happening. As we read along in the passage, we see that they're uh, told about the events and they go back to tell the apostles, the apostles been walking with Jesus. right? We always want to say, if, if if Jesus would just appear to me, I'd believe in him. I'd really go hard after Jesus if he would just appear to me. Well, the disciples were walking with him and and they knew him. And yet when These ladies come and share with them about what they saw. Verse 11. Look with me there. It says these words seem to them an idle tale. They didn't believe. Wasn't their default action to believe these things, even though they've been walking with the man Jesus for three years. So in a sense, it's okay that we're perplexed. You know, even the people that that are walking on this road to Emmaus. We only have one of them identified, Cleopas, but they're part, I guess, of this larger group of followers of Jesus. You know, they're walking on this road and it says there that they're sad, that they were looking sad. So they're not getting it yet. It's not registering with them. It's only in verse 31 and really in those last, you know, four verses that it starts to come together. They see Jesus and their eyes are open. Okay, so. We wrestle with these things and they wrestled with them. So we're in good company. But let me say this, and I have found this helpful over the years because I'm a naturally skeptically bent person. And it doesn't matter how you slice it. The son of God coming fully man, fully God, dying on a cross and rising up from the grave. That is a miracle. That is something that defies the natural order of things. It is amazing. It is miraculous. And we shouldn't say that it's anything otherwise. But C.S. Lewis says this, the writer of the different Chronicle of Narnia, you know, tales and that have all been made into movies or many of them. He wrote a lot about his faith as well. And, of course, those those tales are really allegories of spiritual truth as well. He was a skeptical person. He was an atheist up until I think around his, you know, in his 40s. And a professor and sort of trusted in his reason in his mind and didn't feel he could believe these things, but came to surrender his life to Jesus and to see hope and mercy in him. And he said this. He said, I do not wish to reduce the skeptical element in your minds. I'm only suggesting that it not be reserved exclusively for the New Testament and the creeds. Try Doubting something else. What's Lewis saying there? He's saying that our propensity is to trust our own understanding of things. And because we haven't ever seen anybody resurrected up, it can be easy for us to then default and say, I'm not sure that that happened or could happen. Well, Lewis reminds us, boy, let's not just Put a critical eye to the things of the Bible or to the Lord. Let's if we're going to be critical, let's turn that on our own selves and realize maybe we don't understand all we think we understand. And maybe there are things that are incredibly life transforming that if we would allow ourselves to embrace them or begin to consider them would change our lives. And that, in fact, by uh, trusting simply in our understanding of things that we locked ourselves up. And we would be freed if we would open our mind to the possibilities of what the Lord has done, that we would try doubting something else. Well, what do we see in these verses that help us on that pathway? What is it that the disciples and these ladies eyes were open to and what does it mean for us today? Take a look with me at verse seven again in chapter twenty four. It tells us right off the bat that these angelic beings are speaking to the women who have arrived at the tomb first. It says this that, that that you've already been told this: the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. The same idea is conveyed to these folks on the road to Emmaus. Look over in verse 19; it gives a, a fuller description of it. And isn't Jesus's technique interesting? I don't know how many here are, are educators. Or maybe just parents with your kids, but, you you know, you ever have somebody ask you a question and you know that they know the answer and you want to help them learn in that moment and it'd be easy to give the answer. But if you ask them a question back, they'll actually learn some more because they have to think about it and then repeat it back. Well, Jesus is, you know, he's rolling with this. So he says, what things is it in verse 19? So what are these things that have been happening? As if Jesus doesn't know what's been going on. You know, you tell me. You let me know what's been happening. And then they say a number of things that are powerful if we think about them. It can be easy to miss them if we read too quickly. And they said to, them, to him, concerning Jesus, what does Jesus mean? God saves. This one who saves. Of Nazareth. You remember they said, can anything good come out of Nazareth when they heard Jesus was from Nazareth? He is not from uh, the place that everybody would think that he'd be from. And for those of us here that don't feel like our background has much to commend us, and we kind of wish we could get rid of some of our background, guess what? Jesus is from a place that people didn't think much of. He identifies with us in our situation there. It goes on. It says he was a man who was a prophet. So he spoke for God. He spoke what God was saying. But he didn't just do that. It says he was mighty in deed and word. Deed and word. Think about some of the things that he did. He walked on water. He healed people. He cast out demons. He raised up Lazarus. Even as he's entering in Jerusalem, in the book of John, chapter 12, we read that the people are still talking about him raising up Lazarus. You remember when he, he did that? He's done amazing and mighty things. It goes on in verse 20 to tell us that, uh, hey, both the religious leaders and the government leaders, and of course we know the general population, all of us, are culpable in this thing, you could say. The, the crowds shouted for him to be crucified. The religious leaders directed for that to take place. And the Roman leaders were complicit with it, too. Everybody had a, a part in this. And he wasn't just, you know, feigning death, in case we were confused. Again, it tells us here he was crucified. He was killed. He died. Uh, this differs greatly from other world faiths. Uh, Islam says that Jesus went to the cross, but that he somehow snuck off of there and that Judas went on the cross. It's absolutely essential to the Christian faith and to our salvation that Jesus was on the cross. As disturbing as it is that the Son of God would die, it's essential because he's got to bear the price for our sins. It goes on in verse 21. Again, this is all the stuff that these folks know and they're repeating back to Jesus, but they just haven't really had their eyes open to it yet says, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. word redeem is a technical term. It means to buy back from slavery, to pay that purchase price to rescue them. And just as we, outside of Christ, don't have any hope, are trapped, as it were, in our lost condition and in our sin, we've got to have Jesus come and redeem, pay that price to rescue us. Well, a lot more could be said probably about what, these disciples on the road to Emmaus share. But let's talk for a moment about what it means for us today. All right. So if God would be gracious in our lives to begin to open our eyes so that we could see these things that we just read about, the folks on the road to Emmaus shared with Jesus, what can that mean for our lives today? Well, the first thing it can mean is that uh, we, we will have power, resurrection power, to know God, right? Jesus died and, and raised up, and that reality of him raising up wasn't just something that took place back then. That means that he's got power then to raise us up spiritually so that we can know God. One has put it this way. We lost it all. Jesus did it all. We get it all. That's an easy one to remember, right? We lost it all. Jesus did it all. We get it all. That's what the death and resurrection of Christ is about. And it's a, an obligation and an opportunity. Jesus doesn't say, if you want to, you can think of me as Lord and Savior. He says, I am Lord and Savior. And, and we can bow down, Philippians 2 says, and, and, and bow down. We all will. And we can begin to bow down now and surrender our life to him and and in eternity to know him and know him in his grace and mercy and love. Or we can bow down eventually under his judgment and wrath. These are the truths of scripture. But Jesus lost. We lost it all. Jesus did it all. We get it all because of his free grace. And that power of him to show love and grace and forgiveness is amazing, isn't it? When you think about how that can transform your life, not just to begin to have a a living relationship with the Lord, to know him and to pursue him, but to begin to experience and extend forgiveness. I don't know about you, but relationships are tough, aren't they? Whether it's a marriage relationship, a friendship, a work relationship, when stuff comes in between. Now, maybe you don't call it sin, but the Bible calls it sin when stuff comes in between and agitates that relationship or even breaks that relationship to some degree. We probably all sense it. A lot of us here, maybe if you're married today, you experience that struggle in your marriage. How do we continue to relate to one another when we've hurt each other, when we've offended each other, when we've let each other down? Maybe that's the case for you with a close friend or a co-worker or someone. Forgiveness. That's how it happens. Forgiveness. And that forgiveness starts with God forgiving us. And it gives us power. You say, how can I forgive some of these things and really be restored to relationship? That's through Christ's forgiveness of us. He can give us power to do that. Not only that, but he gives us power for eternal life. Just say a few words about this and then we'll conclude our time. Jesus speaks constantly About eternal life. And for some of us, maybe here the issue isn't just uh, power to know God or power to be forgiven and extend forgiveness. But the issue is uh, power for eternal life. And it manifests itself in this way. Maybe you're here in worry and anxiety plague you almost constantly. Uh, Maybe it's worry about the day-to-day things or your physical well-being and you're real conscious that it's worry or or maybe you're like a lot of us and we shield it over and cover it. Right. That's a lot of our sort of career mindedness and our success mindedness. I'll, I'll, I'll succeed enough in my workplace to put enough of a buffer or advance enough to make sure I have that job to make sure it's secure to make sure I'm okay. My protectiveness. It's just a proactive way of, of trying to go against worry, right? I'm just, I'm worried, so I've got to keep that in place. Maybe we wouldn't label our condition that way, but we also do it when we acquire stuff. The new gadget, the new house, the new car, uh, this new stuff, if I get enough of it piled up, it'll kind of keep me protected. I'll feel big. I'll feel important. I'll feel secure if I have Enough of it. Folks, there's a reason they call it the rat race. And what a beautiful thing that through the promise of eternal life. Think about this for me. You say, how does the resurrection apply to your life day to day? Through the promise of eternal life, you and I can be freed up from that in this sense. We don't have to be rodents anymore. we still go to work. We still do the things that we're called to. But we don't chase after life in those things We don't have to have security from it because the deal is solved. Our eternal situation is locked up through Jesus and and that backfills into our life each day. When we know eternal life through Christ and have rested our faith in him, then we became become freer people free from those things I mentioned. Well, let me conclude with this. If we think about it, the. Remarkable story I shared earlier on about baby Lily isn't just a picture for us of how folks came upon the tomb and discovered that it was empty and had eyes to begin to see that it doesn't just illustrate that to us. It also paints the amazing picture of what you and I are like in our need For rescue and what Jesus has done to save us and rescue us. When you think about it, as Jesus explained to the disciples, it said he walked through the Old Testament and told them about what the scripture said. He said all the way from the beginning, this book from, you know, first front cover to back is about me, Jesus said, about my plan of rescue for a people. And it's interesting when we picture that child, that little baby lily. Hanging by that seatbelt, I guess, buckled in, in that plastic car seat, hovering above those waters for some 12 hours. And we think, how, how could that have happened? How could she have remained alive, that picture of her? And what an amazing thing it is that she was rescued. It's a little bit insulting on the surface to be described that way spiritually, isn't it? That we're really that helpless, that we're really that lost, that we're really in that condition. And so probably, and I'll close with this, we'll have two responses to some of the stuff we heard today. And to that picture of us really being like that little baby Lily, hopeless and helpless without the mercy of God. Some of us here today will feel that there's no way that God can love us that much. Because we know how degraded and how lost we are. You don't have to tell us that. We get it already when we walk in the door. And it's not that we think that love from God is unnecessary. We would think it's unlikely. Whether it's that eating disorder, that struggle with greed, those fits of anger, that battle with lust, that affair, that Improper business deal You name it There's certainly some here Who would feel like God can't love me This thing about Jesus is fantastic But it can't really apply to me I'm too far gone The passage reminds us that Jesus has gone to that great length Precisely for us who recognize our lostness He cares for us that much but at least as many among us today would find Easter a bit vacuous. It doesn't have a whole lot of meaning or depth because we're not sure we really need it. We figure probably the good things in our life come pretty close to outweighing the bad things. And God's probably grading on a curve. And this idea, this picture that because of our lostness, because of not loving God with all our heart and mind and soul, and because of not loving our neighbors or self, that we're literally suspended above these frigid waters and a helpless child in need of rescue, it's a little hard for us to swallow. But that's exactly the message of these verses. And I hope for us today. Wherever we are spiritually, that the the, the message we read in these verses, it would be for us like those sirens on those ambulances and police cars rushing to that scene to save that little baby lily. That we might be able to picture and embrace and receive the reality that we not only desperately need Jesus to save us, but we also can know that he does indeed choose to lovingly and graciously save us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this glorious truth of the death and resurrection of Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would allow us to receive, to have eyes to see. And to receive these things through faith and repentance that we might be transformed By your glorious truth and grace working in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen.